From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. Medicine can be busy and stressful, and at times it's easy to let your own fatigue or muscle memory run the show. But sometimes just medically appropriate and high-quality care isn't enough. The words that are spoken in treatment rooms, the body language, and even the lack of saying anything at all can leave patients feeling poorly about their interaction with the health system. This episode, we're joined by Dr. Bethany Bolton, an emergency medicine physician working in the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. And she's also the founding member of a group called Wellness, Resilience and Performance in Emergency Medicine, which is dedicated to bringing attention to the non-technical skills of medicine. Welcome to the show, Bethany. Thanks, Francine. I'm really pleased that you asked me to come. So recently you've been writing about some really important topics in the Medical Republic magazine, and I urge anyone who hasn't read your contributions to go and check them out on the website. But for those who aren't familiar with some of your work, could you just start by telling us a little bit about what you do and where you work? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an emergency physician, as you said, and uh, I've been working in medicine for 20 years and as an emergency medicine specialist for about 10 years. I work in a mixed ED, and that means that we see both adults and children. I work in a multidisciplinary team, so that means I work with medical and nursing staff, and I also work with allied health and administrative staff, and they're all really essential members of the team. We see a whole array of patient presentations, and this is presentations from minor injuries to major trauma, heart attacks, sick older patients, lots of kids with coughs and colds. We also see a lot of patients presenting with alcohol and drug-related issues and also mental health problems, and that's especially the case really Monday through Sunday. Uh, Like you said, I'm also a member of RAPEM, which is a group of uh, emergency medicine, physicians, nurses, medical educators, and uh, RAPEM stands for Wellness, Resilience and Performance in Emergency Medicine, and we established that group three or four years ago, really to bring the concept of the soft stuff, things that are traditionally considered soft stuff, communication skills, conflict resolution skills, leadership, uh, to being considered more actually the hard skills because they are really so important in the practice of medicine. And as you've said, you've been working in medicine for 20 years Do you think that you've always been highly conscious of these themes of, you know, leadership and solid communication, of the way that you and your colleagues talk to each other about patients and to patients, or is it something that's evolved over time? No, definitely evolved over time. So I've had an interest in physician wellbeing for a number of years now, and I think that stemmed from experiences as a junior doctor where uh, I've had... Um, perhaps less than adequate support from my team during instances of either personal or professional stress. Regarding the communication, this is really important between colleagues and between clinicians and patients. There's a lot of evidence now that shows that disrespectful communication between colleagues can actually impair the way clinicians perform. So that becomes a patient safety issue. And if we talk about how communication with patients impacts on outcome, um, that's something that for me has developed 
over the years of being a clinician. Junior doctors are often influenced by role models such as senior medical and nursing staff. And junior staff often use catchphrases sometimes to show that they're a part of the team. And the phrases are not meant to be pejorative, but sometimes they're just a shortcut in a medical discussion. But unfortunately, sometimes that behaviour doesn't correct or mature as the staff themselves mature as clinicians. And I think as you grow as a clinician, the more experience you get, you see a different perspective and we often call it a balcony view. So you can appreciate more than just the patient in front of you. You can see how maybe they react or what happens when they overhear conversations and how those conversations can be perceived. And so what does that look like? Could you give us a little bit of a picture of those conversations and some of the abbreviations or slang that can be used by staff that patients overhear? For sure. You know, frequent flyer is a common phrase that's used in an emergency department and it refers to patients who use services regularly due to their medical or maybe even psychological issues. Sometimes these issues are things relating to mental health or drug and alcohol use and there can be a judgment from staff that they're wasting resources with their recurrent presentations. It's often the case that there aren't actually community-based services that can support these patients. I find it helpful to remember that presenting frequently to an emergency department is not necessarily something they like doing. Um, Something else I think is relevant, most recently I've been trying to encourage staff not to refer to the patients by their condition, such as the chest pain in 6 or the overdose in 12. So these patients are more than their condition and we need to respect them as such. But, do you know, even... Being as aware of these phrases and terminologies as I am, I still sometimes find myself in a sit rep quickly going through the list and using that phrase out of habit and shortcut. But really, it doesn't take a lot of extra time to say the patient with whatever condition they've presented with. And you were talking about before that as you've moved along in your career, you start to get more of a balcony view where you can take a step back and see all the systems at work. How do you see physician language and communication impact patients? So I think when there's poor communication or poor interactions between clinicians and patients or they overhear conversations that perhaps are not appropriate for them to overhear, I think it can lead to an erosion of trust in the healthcare system. Careless language can really make clinicians seem uncaring and and can also make the patients feel that they're judged and that they haven't been heard. There is certainly literature that shows that these patients are less likely to ask their questions as it comes up during the course of their care, and they may also be less likely to seek care next time they're unwell. And of course, that's potentially going to lead to poorer health outcomes. And I imagine that often you're faced with patients where it's the first time that you're seeing them in the emergency room, they might be in distress, you might have to be trying to work out why they've presented. And, you know, at that moment, you don't know this individual. So what are the things that can often cloud judgment or introduce biases in that situation? So in an ED, it's usually a rushed time-poor environment. And when a clinician is rushing, it can be easy to skimp on taking a thorough history. And you can sometimes just latch onto the information that fits with your idea of what you think they've presented with once you've read maybe the triage notes or 
another report from a pre-hospital clinician. If the patient has seen another clinician before presenting to an emergency department, such as a GP, or they've been brought in by an ambulance, it can actually be really easy to anchor on the information that's been supplied by those providers, rather than start with a clean slate. When patients present with drug and alcohol or mental health-related problems, it can be a real trap not to take their medical concerns that they bring seriously. I worry that this is a patient group that we misdiagnoses because we blame the drugs or the alcohol. For example, patients who smoke marijuana can present repetitively with this syndrome of vomiting and abdominal pain. Of course, the patients don't want to believe that it's the marijuana, but often it is. Until the time that it's not, and it's the ruptured ectopic pregnancy that we didn't think about because they always come with the marijuana vomiting. It can be really dangerous. And what are some of the strategies that you have put in place and when you've been teaching junior doctors to overcome that? You need to be really conscious of the biases, I think, and identify the patients were a bit triggering for you. And those particular patients, you need to approach them with the intent to start from scratch with them and be thorough in their assessment. Coming to an emergency department can be an extraordinary event for most people, one of the worst days of their life, and we need to make sure we hear what their concerns are. One of my personal rules is to consider, and this is for all patient presentations, is what condition if I miss will kill them? And I often tell my junior staff to think outside the box, go through a list of uh, conditions that can cause these symptoms and convince yourself why something is or is not likely to be the cause. So I think you need to approach all patients, but especially the ones that you find difficult to manage with an open mind. There is an element though where it can be a very exhausting process to be consciously focused on your communication. We know that it takes a lot out of people, especially if you're already tired or having a particularly hard day at work. What do you do to make sure that you're mindful and focusing on these traits in your working day? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It is exhausting. An emergency department is noisy and busy and filled with constant interruptions. You're communicating with patients, staff, relatives, other clinicians all day long. Uh, Making sure you take the time to have a meal break is really important and that achieves two goals. It feeds your brain so that you can keep thinking clearly and also gives you a break from the noise that is an emergency department. I often find it useful to ask patients specifically what they're concerned about. It may be that they think their symptoms are caused by cancer because they had a loved one die from cancer. But because it's clear to us that cancer is not on the cards on this presentation, we don't even think about addressing it with them. So being uh, clear with the patients to address their issues can usually help uh, open the channels of communication. And I imagine that the challenge of active communication with patients and with your colleagues has, you know, dramatically shifted again due to the introduction of, you know, near constant PPE in some situations in EDs, maybe not in all states, but certainly in some of the eastern states now. And that nonverbal communication that you may have had before has gone out the window, you know, a smile, a nod. How has that affected doctor-patient communication and have you found it's made people focus more on the words that they're using? I think the introduction of PPE has definitely affected the communication we have with our patients and our colleagues. So full PPE means mask, goggles, 
gown, gloves. It's awful to wear and it must be awful to be looked after by someone wearing so much plastic. It can be quite confronting for a patient to be cared for by staff in full PPE. This is especially true for kids. You can still put a reassuring hand on their shoulder. You have to make sure your smile makes it all the way to your eyes. I walked someone in, past someone in the corridor the other day and smiled at them and it occurred to me subsequently that they probably didn't even see that happen. Uh, we had a patient the other day who was deaf and needed to lip read, so the staff had to remove their masks while communicating with that patient. This was a patient who didn't need COVID precautions, but you could imagine how difficult this would be if it was a COVID-positive patient. These are certainly challenging times. And so just to finish up with, what advice do you give to junior doctors on a regular basis to help them form good communication habits at, their be- at the beginning of their career or as early as possible? I think the first thing you need to do is identify the patients that trigger you. And it might not be the patients that you think. Once you've done that, try and acknowledge it before you start caring for them in the ED. Just so you're cognizant that you need to pay extra attention to the information you're giving and receiving. I think the other important thing is to act as if it's your loved one in the ED. You wouldn't like it if your mother was referred to as a vaginal bleeder. So try not to say that about someone else's mother. I do try to role model for my junior staff. If they say, I'll go see the chest pain in six, I'll say, great, thanks for seeing Mr. Smith who has chest pain in cubicle six. I'm hoping that they too will get into the habit of recognising that the patient's more than the condition they present with. Dr. Bethany Bolton, thank you for your time. It's my pleasure, Francine. Thanks for having me. Before we go, don't forget that you can follow or subscribe to The Tea Room right now by searching for the show on the podcast player of your choice. You'll then be notified when a new episode becomes available. Catch you next time.